Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Hey, this is Dr. Gray, and I want to interrupt this podcast because I am thrilled to announce that my book, The Premed Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview, is hitting bookshelves on June 6th, 2017, and I'm giving away a copy to 50 lucky winners. Also, if you pre-order a copy today from Barnes & Noble and submit your receipt to me, I will give you lifetime access to our 13-part video series on the medical school interview and one-month access to our brand new, amazing mock interview platform, starting whenever you want. That's almost $100 worth of our products for pre-ordering the paperback book from Barnes & Noble. Text the word pre-order to 44222. Again, pre-order to 44222, and I'll give you instructions on how to enter the contest and how to submit your receipt. The Pre-Med Year, session number 226. Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Again, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I host the Pre-Med Years podcast, the one you're listening to now, as well as the MCAT podcast, the old Pre-Meds podcast, and our newest one, specialty stories. If you haven't heard that one yet, I think it's turning out to be one of my favorite shows because I get to talk to amazing physicians, specialists in their field, and discuss what they like about it, what they don't like about it, why they chose it, and what you as a pre-med or even a medical student can be doing if you're interested in the fields that they are in. So go check those out, specialtystories.com. The journey to medical school is long, it's tough, it's defeating, it can be isolating, and along the way, there are plenty of news stories out there about physicians who don't like their job, about physician suicide rates, about suicide in medical students, and so there there inevitably comes a lot of doubt when you are on this journey of whether or not you should be. Is this really 
what you should be doing. Maybe you've thought about being a physician your whole life, you've shadowed, you've, you've gotten clinical experience, and you love every aspect of it, but everybody out there is saying, don't do it, don't do it. This week, I had the privilege to speak with Dr. Shika Jane. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because she was on my Specialty Stories podcast several weeks ago talking about her profession of hematology and oncology. And she wrote a great article about why she would still have her daughter go on to be a physician. And so I wanted to bring her on and share with us why you should still consider a career in medicine, even though there's all this negativity surrounding it, even though our healthcare system is is in such turmoil with our our new administration and how probably every four years or eight years when a new administration comes in, that it's going to continue to be in turmoil. The only constant is change with our healthcare system and life in general. So Dr. Jane is going to share with us why she thinks you should still consider this career. So if you're having doubts, if if your parents are concerned about you doing this, if your loved one is concerned that you're doing this, listen with them. And hopefully we'll answer some questions for you. Shika, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. When did you know you wanted to be a doctor? So I actually started kind of thinking about it when I was really young, when I was about six, seven years old, and I used to go around with my dad in the hospital. Um, he's a surgeon, and so I really enjoyed the experience and seeing patients and uh, seeing him interact with people. So I really enjoyed that to start. And then as I went through, I got older, I started volunteering in clinics and I just started really seeing the impact I could have on people. So it started when I was very young. I went through a period in college where I kind of dabbled in some other things because I wanted to make sure I was going into it for all the right reasons. I did some advertising kind of internships during the year, and I looked at some other opportunities, but I always was drawn back to medicine. So I knew from an early age, I kind of reevaluated as I got older, but nothing really could persuade me and no other field really drew me as much as as medicine did. So you're that stereotypical, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Well, kind of. I, there was a really interesting experience when I was in college where I actually I worked in a research lab and the PI of the lab actually told me, she said, you know, you light up a lot more when you're doing other things. Like when I'd started a, a volunteer organization, she said, when you talk about that, you really light up when, you, when you're talking about this organization, when you're talking about the, the promoting you're doing for it, when you're talking about the things that you do. She said, why don't you think about doing something along those lines, like going into work for an NGO. And and so I, I really seriously considered it for a while because I do enjoy doing all that kind of stuff. But what I realized was I could incorporate that type of thing in medicine. I didn't necessarily like the bench work in a lab as much as some physicians do. Um, so I guess I'm st- kind of stereotypical in that I did know from a young age, but not as stereotypical because I did really seriously consider other fields when I was going through college. What do you think drew you back to medicine and and why why didn't research take you away from it? So research is something I've continued to be involved in throughout my career, but I do more clinical research as opposed to um, bench research. The things for me that really made me know that I wanted to keep doing clinical medicine and have it be at least some part of my career was the patient interactions. Like when I see a patient in clinic, when I'm able to talk to them, 
when I'm able to explain things to them in a way that they understand, when I I see the kind of the light bulb go off in their head and they say, wow, no one's ever explained that to me before. And it's helping them take control of their own health and their own life. For me, that is something that is very unique to medicine. And it incorporates the fact of, you know, patient education and science and just that interpersonal communication and having that bond with somebody, which you don't really get in a lot of other fields. A lot of other fields, it's just not possible to get all of those aspects incorporated. What was the pre-med journey like for you growing up with a dad who's a surgeon? Was it was your pre-med path easier because you had a, a parent who was a physician or was it harder or was it just the same as everybody else? So I think the pre-med is, path is hard regardless of where you come from. I mean, pre-med classes are not easy. Organic chemistry, biochemistry, I mean, I struggled in all those classes and it was rough. And I think that no matter what your background is, there's going to be something that's going to be a hurdle. You may not be a good test taker. You may not uh, be just understand the science behind it. You may not enjoy some of the fields. And I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, I'm a bad test taker. And I know a lot of people say it, but multiple choice tests are just, they're difficult for me. And so I struggled quite a bit in the pre-med years just trying to get by, just like every other pre-med student does, I think. Um, and, you know, some people don't show it as outwardly. Some people uh, kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve. So I think everyone has their own struggles. Having a father who was a surgeon, I think, helped me when it came to the actual practice of medicine, because I kind of had an idea of what I was going into. You know, when I started my residency, I knew what to expect, whereas some of my friends who um, did not have medicine in their lives in some way prior, didn't know what to expect going to residency. So I think it definitely helped me with that transition and and not being as overwhelmed as some people who kind of went in blind. But the pre-med years, I think they're going to be hard regardless of where you come from. And again, everybody faces different struggles. So there'll be different battles different people have to face. But the pre-med years were hard. You talked about being a bad test taker. The I, I always joke that medical school, you become a professional test taker. So you, <laughs> you, you took the MCAT, multiple choice tests. Uh, uh-huh. Medical school, I'm assuming for you, was multiple choice tests. The, mm-hmm. the boards are multiple choice tests. Your, your boards for your specialty are multiple choice tests. How do you overcome being a quote-unquote bad test taker? So that is an excellent question. It's something I struggled with for a long time, actually, because when I went to, so I went to college at the University of Chicago, where the majority of the tests that I had were essay tests. So there weren't a lot of multiple choice tests going in. I mean, obviously, you take the SATs and the ACTs and things like that. And I did fine on those. But when it became a bit more involved, um, it was just a very different experience. So what I actually did was one of my um, mentors in in medical school actually uh, set me up with a resident who was an excellent test taker. He just knew, you know, kind of how to figure out what they were asking, how to figure out the tricks that you look for. And he sat down with me and he basically said, you know what, this is what I look for in a test. I first, you know, what he, what his techniques were was he looked, he circled the last line that was the actual question um in the uh, in the question, and then went back and read the entire you know paragraph that came before it. He said he never looked at the answers. He would figure out the answer on his own before he looked at the multiple choice test, but or before that he looked at the answers, and that's how he did it. So I came up with techniques, and I kind of learned how to become a better test taker, which definitely helped me throughout my career because 
we are professional test takers. Even when you become an attending, there's still boards and then you have to recertify. And so multiple choice tests are a very important part of our training um, for better or worse. And so having that, that resident sit down and kind of show me how he did his tests and how he kind of broke down the multiple choice test really helped me in the future. Okay. Interesting. I think it's, it's such a huge struggle and I hear it all the time about being a bad test taker and whether that's mm -hmm. just anxiety or not under fully understanding the questions or not trusting yourself to break down the answers. So it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely an important thing to learn. Well, my biggest issue was I second guessed myself. So yeah. I would nine times out of 10, I would pick the answer that I thought it was. And then I would go back. And when I was going back to check all of my answers, which I would do if I had enough time, I would end up changing a lot of my answers. <laughs> so which was a horrible idea. Yep. So what I started doing was I, I wouldn't go back through and check my answers. I would go back through and just make sure I'd answered everything because then I realized, you know, when you start thinking about things and you start questioning, hmm, do they really mean this? Do they really mean this? But actually the first run through, when you read it through properly the first time, that's usually when you get the actual gist of the question and you're not second guessing yourself. So that I think for me, when I realized I was doing that was a turning point for how I managed to figure out how to get through the rest of the tests. I think that is a huge takeaway. I think never check your answers. Make sure you exactly. answered them all, but never check. Uh, it's exactly. something I, I learned early on as well. <laughs> what do you think was the hardest part outside of the test, the hardest part of being a pre-med student? So I think that there is just, especially nowadays talking to pre-meds, I feel like sometimes students can feel like there's not as much support and not as much guidance and not as much mentorship and not as much support amongst their friends. There's a lot of competition and there there doesn't seem to be that sense of lifting each other up as much as trying to, you know, be better than than your than your friend. So I think that that is something that is very difficult and it's a hard thing to to come out of, you know, high school going into into college and then medical school and and having that that constant competition. I think some constant some competition is definitely good, but I think that the 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 competition that exists can sometimes become a bit more frustrating for students and I feel like a lot of times people feel like they need to give up because they feel like they're having more of the competition and less of the the support. So I think that's something that's definitely difficult in medical school and pre-med years. So I think, well, first of all, the, the student that's listening to this podcast will hopefully not feel that because our motto here is collaboration, not competition. And so Perfect. super collaborative and our, our Facebook group is very collaborative. I, I think that you said frustrating, that the competition is frustrating. I think it's isolating as well. Yes, and, absolutely. And it's the pre-med journey is not one that you want to do alone. So uh, I think it's very important to find those collaborative classmates and friends and and work with them to to better yourself and better them. And then it, you can speak to this as well, that the fact that you come out of medical school and are in a collaborative environment, you better start learning mm -hmm. these skills now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will say that, you know, I was I was very fortunate in that as some of my absolute closest friends in my entire life have come from my uh, medical school and my residency years. And they are, I tell them this to this day, we helped each other get through the medical school years, through the residency years. And in, um, in pre-med, I actually had a lot of friends who were not in medicine and I, or who were not going into 
into medicine. They were, you know, social sciences or economics and, and um, different uh, fields than me. And part of the reason I did that was myself grounded and to keep myself well balanced. Um, but then I did have some friends who were also pre-meds and I really tried to surround myself with more collaborative, collaborative people and people who I felt like would, we could help each other. We could, you know, we could give each other advice. We could share notes and things like that. That, that was the type of environment I tried to foster and create for myself. And it served me very well in that I have, you know, friends who I've known now for 10, 15 uh, years who I can't imagine my life without. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so the competition for pre-meds, what about medical school? Medical school is supposedly more collaborative and a lot less cutthroat. What, do you, what did you find to be the hardest part of medical school? So medical school is a whole new ballgame. You walk in and you think you know a lot of things because you've gone through all these tough med school classes or pre-med classes and you feel like, you know, okay, I did pretty well. I came out, I, you know, managed to survive my pre-med years. I should know this. And you come in and it's a totally different ballgame. So it's kind of like starting from scratch almost because, yes, there's a lot of stuff that you learn in pre-med that's going to be helpful, but there's a lot of stuff in medical school that you have no experience with. You've never seen it anywhere else. So it's kind of like starting from the ground up. And I think at least the first year of medical school, that can be a bit overwhelming. You know, things like anatomy lab, if you've never if you've never done anything like that, they can be very um, kind of scary almost to some students. But again, I think the most important thing is to find find those mentors, find those classmates, find the people who you can work with. And when you break things down and when you work with others, it really helps uh, really helps things go a lot smoother. What do you think was the as as you're going through this process and and you're you're struggling with it or, or you're in the depth of it, did you ever question yourself and go, why am I putting myself through this torture? All the time. <laughs> we we would, uh, after exams, my friends and I would go out and we would think of alternate careers. We would sit down and we would say, you know, maybe we, maybe we should be doing this or maybe we'll start a bakery or maybe, you know, we really love restaurants. Let's open a restaurant. So we we definitely questioned ourselves and um my husband and i both were both physicians we met in medical school we think back to it and we say you know would we go back and do it all over again because it was it was a long road and there were definitely times of self doubt there were definitely times of am i good enough for this is this really something that i've been chosen for is this something that i've chosen to do is this something that is in line with my future goals and career. I feel like I'm in the library all the time. Um, one of my funniest memories from medical school was my husband and I were, he was, we were dating at the time and we were studying in the library. And one of my very good friends from college who um, now works uh, uh, not in medicine was calling, she was in MBA school and she was talking how tired she was because she had to go to all these networking events and it's so exhausting. And you know every other event was at a restaurant or you know it was some kind of party. And my husband and I were like, we are in the wrong field. We, we, are, we are tired because we're studying all the time. We're tired because we're taking all these exams. And she's tired because she's out, you know, having a good time. And so we definitely had days where we questioned what we were doing. But I think for me especially, it was always, I knew what I was going to get out of it at the end. I knew why I was doing it. And so I tried to focus on that. Um, and that's one way in which I was fortunate in that, you know, 
having a father who was a surgeon, I saw the benefit of what he had and what he was able to do and accomplish. And so that's kind of what I used as my light at the end of the tunnel. Very important. I've I've talked about that before about knowing your why and and keeping that mm-hmm. top of mind as you're as a pre meds struggling through the MCAT, thinking why am I doing this or yep. through organic <laughs> chemistry, why am I doing this and and thinking back and and it's one of the reasons a, a lot of students as they're studying for the MCAT or they're they're doing other things and getting super involved they they kind of cut down their shadowing time or their clinical experience mm-hmm. time and I I tell them I'm like go keep doing that because you'll you'll be reminded why you're doing this. Exactly. Exactly. It's really important to keep that at the forefront of your mind because there are going to be days where, you know, we used to study in the basement of our radiology building and you wouldn't see the sun for 18 hours at a time because, you know, you'd be ordering food into the building and we'd be sitting there and we'd all be commiserating and saying, why are we doing this to ourselves? This is, you know, these are our 20s. We should be out enjoying life. And you really have to realize that one, you have to find a good balance of studying and, you know, keeping yourself healthy and enjoying yourself and spending time with your friends. But the real purpose is it's a means to an end. You're learning all of this stuff and you're learning all these really interesting things that you're going to be able to apply for the rest of your life. Um, And I don't think, especially in medical school, I don't think you really see that or understand that until your clinical years. And when you start studying things and then being able to apply them to patients, it the day it happened to me, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I said, oh, this is why I've been reading so much. This is why I've been studying so much. I just helped this pediatric patient, you know, on on the wards figure out why his stomach was still hurting. So it's it's delayed gratification almost because your first two years, most medical schools I know don't do as much clinical. Um, but I agree, you should definitely keep yourself involved in the clinical aspect as much as you possibly can throughout your entire training. You're out of training now, and when you look at physician surveys and reports, and Medscape is one of the biggest reports out there, it talks about physician burnout, and would would you consider uh, going into medicine again? Would you consider going into your same specialty again? And a, a lot of physicians out there, at least the ones that are doing these reports, are saying no. The majority are saying, no, I wouldn't do this again. Yeah, but you wrote an article for Kevin MD that talked about why you would why you would still encourage your your daughter or child to to still go into medicine. Let's start off with with the first part about the surveys and reports. Why do you think these these physicians are reporting so much burnout and negativity towards towards medicine? So I think there's a lot of things that are kind of leading up to physicians being this frustrated. I think, you know, the the biggest thing that has happened in the last 35, 40 years in medicine is that physicians have lost their autonomy. And by losing autonomy, a lot of physicians have lost control of their practice, of what they think is important, of how they want to practice medicine. And that is very frustrating. So, you know, when my go, dad started- Go into that. Point, what, what does that mean, losing autonomy? So, you know, when my dad started his practice 35, 40 years ago, he started a private practice from the ground up and he could decide what patients they wanted to see. He could decide how long his clinic visits were going to be. Him and his partners, you know, eventually he had partners, they could decide how many days they wanted to be on call, how many days they wanted to round, how many, you know, what uh, the way they wanted their clinic set up, the way they wanted to orchestrate their their lives. 
And if they wanted to take a day off, it wasn't a big deal. You just had to talk about it with your partners. Now what's starting to happen is a lot of practices are becoming uh, hospital-owned or uh, practices are just becoming kind of absorbed and becoming larger groups that are run by administrators that aren't physicians. And so a lot of times what physicians feel is that the administrators are looking at the bottom line and looking at what is the best way to make this business successful. And that is something that physicians don't necessarily think about as much because Physicians are thinking, what is what can I do that's the best to the best of, for my patient? And so what's happened is a lot of the people in in power in these hospitals and in these practices are not physicians. And so the the goals of the practice have come completely, in some cases, an opposing uh, kind of purpose as opposed to the goals of the administration. And so a lot of physicians feel that they are being uh, restricted in what they can and cannot do because the administration says this is not in line with our bottom line. And the reason that's happened is because physicians are so, most physicians are so kind of focused on patient care and have so much other stuff they have to do now that medicine has changed. For example, the older physicians don't understand how to use the computers as much, or there's all this paperwork that needs to be completed, or they keep, you know, the people who are in charge keep changing our coding system. So each year we have to learn a whole new coding system as to how we're going to bill. So what happened, I think, was, in my opinion, was 30 years ago, Physicians didn't want to deal with all that stuff. They wanted to take care of their patients and they didn't want to deal with all the administrative stuff. So they said, okay, we're going to allocate this stuff to somebody else because we just want to take care of patients. You guys take care of all the administrative stuff. What's happened now is that the administrative stuff has become something that's very important to making the physician's practice run so that they're making a profit. And so I think those are just not necessarily in line with each other. So I think a lot of physicians lose the ability to dictate their own schedules, to, you know, decide what treatments they want to do in some cases, and and run their practices, run their clinics the way they want without this oversight that they think is often unnecessary and often not what we believe or what physicians believe is in the best, uh, is best for patient care. So I think that, does that kind of answer your question as to the loss of autonomy? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I There's... There's some element in there that I think is just normal human psychology of of not liking change as well. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. a big driver. I agree. I think part of it is not liking change. I think part of it is, you know, when everyone went to a computerized system, a lot of physicians were very frustrated because they said, well, the old way was, was fine. Why not change it? So I agree that that's definitely a, a big part of it. But I do think, you know, especially as I, when I was in medical school, you know, I worked with AMSA and I tried to do some lobbying and a lot of physicians that I talked to as a student weren't interested in, in changing healthcare. They just wanted to come in, see their patients and go home. And it's because as physicians, we do end up reading a lot outside of work. We do end up doing a lot of stuff outside work, unlike somebody who has a typical nine to five job. So when it comes to it, a lot of physicians don't want to worry about all of the other administrative stuff. The problem is the physicians who have been in practice for a long time, now that things have changed, they don't necessarily like the way things are changing, but they don't feel like they have the time to 
let their voices be heard or to come to committee meetings or to, to get involved to, to make changes or to help make changes in ways that they think would be effective for patient care and for, um, for the practice or for the hospital or for the administration. So I think it's just a communication gap. And part of it is because no one feels they have enough time to do everything that needs to be done. Do you think some of this could be mitigated with educating medical students on the administrative side of things during medical school? 100%. I think coming out of medical school, we always joke that we have no idea how anything works when it comes to billing, when it comes to insurance, when it comes to anything administrative, because there's so much to learn from a medicine standpoint. But I think even one one class a year would be very useful to at least learn how health administration works. I actually, when I was a medical student, I, um, I organized an elective that was on health policy and trying to get medical students engaged in politics and understanding how, uh, you know, how bills become laws and how healthcare policy changes and how we can make a difference. And I think that both healthcare administration and healthcare policy are two very important topics that are not covered in medical school at all. And I think it really puts us at a disadvantage when it comes to starting a career. You know, if someone wants to start a private practice, there's no, there's no resources for that. There's no way to talk to somebody to figure out how do, how do you do that? Or if someone wants to go into healthcare administration. So I think incorporating that into med school would be extremely useful. So how is a, a pre-med that's going through this process now what would you recommend to them so that when they when they get out of medical school and are practicing in whatever environment they're practicing in, that they they either a understand everything that's happening around them and and are okay with it, um, or voice their concerns when they're not okay with it, or b just under, understand that their role as a physician doesn't necessarily need to to interact at all with the administrative side and their goal is patient care and they should focus on that. So I think, you know, the, the most important thing, and I, I, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, regardless of whether you decide not to be administration or not, I don't think that as physicians in this day and age, we can say, I'm only going to take care of patients and I'm not going to worry about anything else. Because the problem is what happens is a lot of times the decisions that are being made may not be good for your patient. And the administration may not understand that because they don't have a medical background. So we are in a very unique position in that we can advocate for our patients while being involved to a certain extent in administration. I mean, that doesn't mean everybody needs to to go into healthcare administration. Everybody doesn't need to go to all these meetings and committees. But I think keeping your eyes open and paying attention to what's going on around you is extremely important. I think getting a mentor who who has done something similar to what you want to do is is key because they have the experience to help guide you and to help figure help you figure out in the section of medicine that you're in in the field that you're in how you can best keep yourself abreast of what's going on so that you are educated and able to advocate for your patients even if it's not on an everyday you know administrative level if something is I'll give you a perfect example so I'm in a group right now where we as a group meet with our uh, administrators uh, every other week. And the reason we do that is because 
the practice, the way it's run, is changing, and it's been changing over the last two years, and the administration was making some changes that were not good for our clinic flow. And so we shot them an email and said, hey, let's sit down and talk about this, and we explained to them, you know, moving this person here or, you know, changing the way that the the front desk staff handles this is not necessarily going to be good for patient care. It's actually going to be less efficient. And in their mind, they were looking at it from an administrative standpoint. From our mind, we were looking at it from a clinical standpoint, and we were able to come to a solution that worked to both increase the efficiency of the clinic and improve our patient care. So I think that keeping yourself engaged and keeping yourself abreast of what's going on, at least to a certain extent, will help your patient care. So I think it directly affects how you treat your patient. So I think it's it's very difficult in this day and age for us as physicians to say, oh, we don't want to be involved or know anything that's going on, just give us patience. Um, I think if if we want to be happy and have the job satisfaction and have some ability to control our schedules, control our lives, control what our patients are, are, uh, are receiving, the type of care they're receiving, we have to have at least a small amount of engagement in these types of things. So... Being a physician is hard, is what I'm hearing, and obviously (laughs) having experienced it, there are a lot of things to juggle. You're dealing with sick patients and making sure they're happy. You're dealing with administration, making sure they're happy. You're dealing with all of your your ancillary staff and making sure they're happy. Why do you still encourage, why would you still encourage your daughter to go into medicine? Well, I I really think medicine is an amazing field. I think that I am very fortunate in that I've been able to to practice medicine. I I think if my daughter wants to do it and if she feels that she has a passion for it, I would highly encourage her because all of this other stuff, the administration, you know, the the changes, all that stuff that happens, it's going to keep happening and it happens in all fields. The unique thing in medicine is if you have a passion for this field, the rewards can be amazing, regardless of whether you go into, you know, oncology or surgery or psychology, whatever field you go into, or psychiatry, there are a amazing amount of rewards that come with it. And so, you know, we always learn in medical school, you got to, you know, talk to patients about risk benefit and risk assessment and, and kind of comparing the pluses and minuses of different decisions. And when it comes to medicine, I think that the the real benefit we get out of it is we get these rewarding, whether it's patient interactions or if you're a pathologist, you get to help diagnose people with things that you know someone else might not be able to find. If you're a radiologist, you get to see um, images and help people diagnose pneumonia, help treat people for, you know, diagnose an early cancer that can be curable. You have the ability to really change people's lives in any field of medicine, in any part of medicine. And I think that is a very, very unique thing for this, for this, uh, job. And I really believe that if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like a job and all this other stuff, it kind of becomes background noise where, you know, you have to deal with it and you deal with it to whatever extent you want to but you still get this reward. No matter what happens, you still have that reward. You can still go home at the end of the day and know that you impacted somebody in some way. And I don't think you get that in in a lot of other jobs. All right, so I'm going to play 
devil's advocate and, and challenge you a little bit. Absolutely. So you've only practiced, you've been out in practice for a year and a half. Is that correct? Uh, yes. How much of this positive outlook that you have is the fact that it's still new and shiny for you? And, and how do you keep this same outlook in five or 10 years? Sure. So um, I think probably a little part of it is that it's new for me. But I can tell you from speaking to other physicians, um, especially after I wrote that article, I've had a lot of physicians come to me and say, thank you so much for writing that. That's exactly how I feel. And I didn't know how to verbalize it. And these are physician, physicians who've been in the field for 15, 20, 30 years. Um, my, two of my partners uh, have been, one's been in practice for about seven years. And I think one's been practiced for about 10, 15 years. And they both have the same enthusiasm and the same passion and the same um, kind of, I guess you could say, positive outlook on medicine. Because I really think it's a calling. I really think going into medicine is a calling. And I think the people who truly continue to enjoy it are people who really went into it because they thought this is what they wanted to do. And and the great thing about medicine is, let's say in a couple of years, you realize, you know what? I don't necessarily like this part of medicine. It opens the door to do so many other things that I think a lot of physicians, what they're learning, especially you know in in the times today, is if you're getting frustrated with the administrative aspect, if you're getting frustrated with all these other things, then you have the flexibility as a physician to to change your tra- trajectory, change what you want to do. So, I mean, going back to my father, you know, he was in practice for 35, 40 years, and he still felt that way at the end of the day. I mean, there were he would come home, and obviously we would hear him grumbling about other issues, but at the end of the day, it still came back to patient care. And so... I think I totally agree with you. Part of it is because I've just started, but I, I've talked to a lot of physicians who've been in practice much longer than me who still feel this way. And, and to answer your question as to how I maintain it at this point, well, for me, the biggest thing is always kind of keeping my, my eye on the prize, so to speak, where when I have a really bad day, I come home, you know, I talk to my husband, I play with my daughter. And then I go back the next day and I know that each day is going to be different. It's going to be faced with its own challenges, but I always keep the patient care aspect in the forefront of my mind because at the end of the day, I will have multiple patients who I've affected their lives in one way or another, whether it's, you know, in a way where I've been able to help them or if it's a way that I've given them news that I need to guide them through, or if it's something where I've changed their life in one way or another. So I have the the privilege of doing that every day. And so I just remind myself of that when I start getting too bogged down with all of the other stuff that can get really frustrating. I think now is an important time to remember that information because we're going through a change with our new administration with mm-hmm. with where is healthcare going? Is is the Affordable Care Act going away? What's going to replace it? And a lot of pre-med students are looking at that and determining, well, should I, should I still go into medicine if healthcare changes? And mm-hmm. I think what you're saying and, and what I say all the time is it's important to understand what's going on and have a voice. But at the end of the day, patient care, and, and the way I say it is what happens behind the closed exam room door will never mm-hmm. change. That interaction with the patient, with their family, that will never change. And that's exactly. what is is the 
definition of being a physician. Everything else will change around you, and and it will as you, as you progress through mm-hmm. your career. And but but what happens behind that closed door? That that interaction, that that communication with a patient is is paramount. Absolutely, I totally agree. I mean, and that is that is the one thing that has been a constant since you know since I was four years old when I used to round with my dad. I still have that connection with my patients and that is not going to change. And that is something, even if, you know, we have to document more things on the computer or we have to go through all this other frustrating stuff, my patients are still people that I am becoming a part of their lives. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that it is something that really we have to remember as things change, the administration changes, the healthcare system changes. I mean, the healthcare system has changed significantly even since I started college and medical school. So I think that it is a very important thing to continue to remember is that the patients are always your your prime concern and that will never change. What resources would you recommend a pre-med student start looking at uh, to get involved in, in maybe the politics side of things? or uh, the, the policy and uh, the administrative and trying to learn the administrative side of things as well? So when I was in medical school, AMSA was very good at doing things like lobbying and policy work. Um, AMSA is the American Medical Student Association, for anyone who doesn't know. And um, it is a very, they had national conferences. We went to, D, I organized a couple of events where we lobbied both at the East Lansing Capitol in Michigan, as well as in D.C. So AMSA was a really great resource um, as a student because it gives you the the um, ownership of the of of learning about policy, but also it gives you a lot of mentorship and guidance. So I think if you're interested in that, that is something that is extremely useful. Um, if you're interested in more like the administrative side, there's not as many resources I don't think for someone to to reach out. To, that. Um, I would recommend talking to somebody in, um, in maybe, uh, if you're a pre-med still talking to somebody in, um, the college career guidance counseling and seeing if there's somebody who you might be able to touch base with or talk to and just pick their brain, get an idea of what would be good things for you to, to be focusing on or doing in, in, when you start medical school. And as a medical student, I think finding an administrator and just asking, a lot of them would love to talk to you and just set up an appointment with them and say, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm a M1 medical student, and I'm thinking I might be interested in learning a little bit more about health administration after I'm done with medical school. Um, Do you think you could spend a little bit of time just explaining to me what you do or how I can get involved? Or is there something I could do while I was going through medical school to to keep myself abreast of, of, of medical administration? So, I really think mentorship is something that is underutilized a lot of times in medicine. And I think it is something that is such a gift when you have a good mentor. And a lot of times you have to seek them out. But when you find a good mentor, it can change your life. So the pre-med student listening right now is freaked out with everything changing (laughs) and with everything that we have to know and be involved in. What do you say to reassure them that if they're doing this for the right reason, they're on the right path and, and the, the goal at the end of the road is, is worth it. 
So the first thing I would say is don't be freaked out about learning everything. You don't need to know everything about how the government works. You don't need to know everything about how the administration works. You don't need to know everything about everything. And that is a very hard concept for a lot of pre-med and medical students to grasp, um, that you're not going to know everything. I think that absorbing as much as you can and knowing that you're going to have to learn things five or six times in a row. You're going to have to repeat things. You're going to have to be retaught things. I think those are all really important things to remember. And not only that, just keep yourself up to date on the news. You know, get a CNN and alert update on your phone. Get, you know, the Washington Street, the New York Post or the New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Get that on your phone so you, when you've got some downtime, you can look at it. It's not something you need to be obsessed about. I would not, you know, use it to to start getting anxious. I know a lot of people are really anxious with the administration change, especially with healthcare, and there's a lot of anxiety going around. I think getting yourself educated to the best of your ability is going to be your best tool moving forward. Don't worry about learning everything. Just worry about learning as much as you can and enjoying yourself as you go through it. Because I think a lot of pre-med and medical students don't enjoy their time as much as they should. And it really should be an exciting time for you because you're learning things that are going to, you're going to be utilizing for the rest of your life. It's very different from uh, some of the classes you take in college where you may never see, you know, organic chemistry again. But when you're learning about biology and about the human body and you're learning about physiology and anatomy, it's just it's something amazing that you're going to remember, oh, I had a teacher back my first year of med school who had this acronym that I am now using, and I'm using it and explaining it to my patients. So just enjoy it. Really enjoy it as much as you can, and enjoy the learning process because it is a process. It's not instantaneous. It's, it's going to be a process. It's going to take a lot of time, but I really think it's worth it in the end. All right, so there you have it. Hopefully... If you've been struggling on this journey, questioning yourself at every turn, this podcast will help answer some questions for you. And maybe the answer for you is, no, I don't want to do this. And that's okay. But ask yourself the questions, go through this process, make sure that you're doing these things for the right reason, and hopefully you'll come through on the other side happier, healthier, and more willing to continue to give back to your patients, to your colleagues, and to the profession. I hope you have a great week, and don't forget to check out everything else that we're doing at MedEd Media by going to mededmedia.com.